happening now. You're listening to the EdTech Situation Room for November the 16th, 2016. This is Wes Fryer joining from Oklahoma City. And Jason Neifer is out and about on assignment, as he has been quite a bit. And so I am delighted to welcome Jen Carey. And I met Jen a couple years ago at the wonderful Miami Device Conference down in Florida. And uh, Jen, why don't you just tell everybody kind of what what you do? And, uh, you know, in Oklahoma, we don't believe climate change is real. I kind of think people in Miami are not debating it like we are here. That is true. It is a nonpartisan issue, especially as we're having king tide flooding right now. What does that so, mean? Yeah, about twice a year, we get really large tidal surges in Miami Beach. It gets a few feet of water. And uh, yeah, it's a great way to ruin your to ruin your landscaping because um, it's often salt water that comes right up. Oh, uh, yeah, but I'm Jen Carey. I am the director of educational technology at an independent school in Miami. It's called Ransom Everglades. Uh, we're about 113 years old this year. Wow. Uh, so I do a lot of work at my school helping teachers um, integrate technology effectively and um, meaningfully. Um, and then on top of that, I do some work with ISTE and with Atlas, um, just focused on helping not only educators, but tech leaders be more effective at integrating technology and bringing tech out of the kind of siloed outside of the school and bringing them inside the school is really part of the heart of any school's curriculum and any school's mission. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well, we may want to talk more about Atlas too, because I am really close to wanting to, to come this year. It doesn't look like I'm going to make it to ISTE. Um, and so, yeah, we can talk a little bit more about this. We yeah. want to tell everybody listening that you can access our show notes at edtechsr.com slash links. And I'm sure there'll be a few things that are not, not even in the show notes yet that we'll end up putting in. But our goal is to have those links there to refer to. And we do have at the top, actually, I don't think I put it, I'll, I'll, I'll add it. Um, we have a survey. So we, we have folks that, that are listening. We know there's, there's, there's folks downloading. Uh, and so if you want to take our listener survey, you can go to wfriar.me slash edtechsr in order to fill that out. Um, so, um, Jensen's, I don't even really know a little bit too. How did, how did you become a tech director? What is your, your educational background? Oh my gosh. So my graduate degree is in classical archaeology, which as you know, feeds quite nicely into ed tech. Absolutely. <laughs> I like to tell people, well, there's two different veins to this. So I'm history, anthropology, and archaeology is my background. Um, archaeologists are the most techie of the soft sciences. So we used to have to, get permission before the days of Google Earth. We used to have to write to the federal government and pay a fortune to get satellite images that were no longer classified, which usually meant they were anywhere from 30 to 50 years old, depending on where you were working. I remember having a very expensive digital camera in the 90s um, that did about one megapixel, I think, and it was several thousand dollars, um, building my own digital databases and, um, you know, that could run statistical analyses and things like that. So um, archaeologists are surprisingly techy. Um, I also largely grew up in the Bay Area. So we had an Apple IIe in 1982. Wow. So I grew up um, with a computer and I grew up with 
even access to the internet back in the olden days where you could surf the entire web in about two hours because there were what 150 sites and it was before netscape so you were on the links browser and everything loaded yeah. really, really fast and, on your dial-up modem yeah and nothing had names everything was numbers and so <laughs> i really grew up being one very techy and surrounded by tech and then um got into a profession that was very tech oriented um and then it became really evident that there aren't a lot of jobs anymore for tenure track professors. And I really love teaching more than anything else. And so I started working in higher ed and then um, moved over to independent schools and became the person who, where they, the iPad came out and they went, what are we gonna do with this? Let's give it to Jennifer and figure out what she does with it. And kind of went from there to be working up and becoming a tech director. As you know, our field's a little, a little wonky, people end up in it from all over and it's fairly young in this in this really educational integration role well and it's awesome uh to have diverse you know backgrounds and, and perspectives i think you know in some schools still we have the folks that kind of grew up with the tech who are the boxes and wires people that used to yeah. crimp you know ethernet cords and and really just sort of do the care and feeding of the of the boxes in the closets and <clears throat> now you know with there's so so much importance of of integrating the technology and, and working with teachers and having a, I think, a real vision for how these things get yeah. used. Uh, it's so important to, ha I mean, we it you know we have all kinds of folks who are in, in in tech and who are tech directors, but I think it really, I'm invigorated by those that have an instructional focus and, uh, you know, it's. It's great. It's uh, we we have a new um, member of our staff who's working on our admissions team who actually has an, an archaeological background as well. She had lived in Bolivia with her oh. husband, and uh, I was like fascinated by that. And then you have a connection to Eric Ebert, right? Yes. And that was was that through a, a summer some summer institutes or how? Because well, Eric Ebert and I am the, the the director of technology at Cassidy School yeah. here in Oklahoma City. Eric is our um, upper division computer science teacher who's starting That's to. Cool get our um, program going. We've, yeah. it's been a number of years since we've had upper division computer science classes. So, and so what, how did you connect with him? I worked with him um, through Johns Hopkins CTY program. I was an academic dean for them and I actually supervised Eric and he gave me the best compliment I'd ever gotten as an administrator, which sounded initially, you're like, what? It said, um, Jen Carey is a pit bull. She's loving, loyal, and she will keep you safe. <laughs> and I just like, oh, I was so enamored by that. Um, and he's just, he's such a great guy. And I, I remember talking, he also made a transition from higher ed to teaching um, K to 12. And I knew he would be just a perfect fit for it. And Johns Hopkins, I know he did stuff with in, with uh, cryptography. Yep. Uh, what, what was that? What is that summer program? So it's a Johns Hopkins CTY program. It's for, um, it's, you may be familiar with Duke has a similar program called Duke Tips. Yes, our daughters just applied for that this summer. Yeah, so, you know, it's a summer program for gifted children. It's residential. Um, uh, I think Duke, the Duke is three weeks or two weeks? Uh, I'm not sure. We haven't participated yet. But. Okay, so the Hopkins program, it has two sessions that are three weeks each. Um, it has a really robust um scholarship program so they do a really good job with outreach and just um phenomenal it's and really what i think the academic part is important but what these kids tend to be highly gifted and they run the gamut from kids who are like gifted and also a star athlete and very popular to kids who are highly gifted 
perhaps with some learning differences, maybe on the spectrum or kids who just have some social problems. And they come to a, a program where everybody's gifted for the first time. They may not even be the smartest kid in their class. Um, they're challenged in new and interesting ways. And a lot of times they feel like they can be themselves. They can be smart. They can be, you know, and people appreciate and respect them for that. And it's just a phenomenal program. And then the educators we bring in are just, they're great. Um, I had to, I had to leave the program when I became an administrator because I no longer had the seven weeks in the summer to commit to it. Right. Um, right. Which was, it was, it was really, it was bittersweet because I was excited about the new job position, but I was really, really disappointed about having to leave um, Hopkins because it was just such a fulfilling experience. Well, awesome. That's awesome. Well, so normally on the show, we'll, we'll take some different articles and, and yeah. kind of put it, look through them through a tech, a Ned Tech lens, an educational lens. Um, I know that you want to talk a little bit about fake news and fact checking, which sounds great. Yeah. But I think I'm gonna I'm gonna take us first to surveillance and security, just sort of selfishly, because uh, this Saturday, uh, if anybody happens to to want to go, um, although I'm sure the, I think that the room it seats like a hundred. Uh, our youngest daughter and I are going to go do some TEDx talks up in Enid, Oklahoma. And Rachel is seventh grade. She's going to talk about tales from a teenage Minecraft YouTuber. And she's been, uh, oh, I love your daughter already. Yeah, about two years. And uh, it's been a very interesting journey for, for her oh. and for me. And then I'm going to do one on digital citizenship in the surveillance state. Ooh, that's a good one. So uh, a couple articles that I put into the show notes, and then I just wanted to kind of get just selfishly your your take maybe on how how do conversations about surveillance, whether it's government, corporate, or individual, you know, fit into what we should be doing with digital citizenship in in our schools. And so right. there's a Forbes article from November third called "This Hack." <laughs> uh, can silently break into 1 billion Android app accounts. And. Whoa. Sorry, oh there's an ad playing music. Oh, oh my gosh. You just really startled me. Talk I about hacks. Um, I been hacked. Forbes. I was just pulling it up. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So websites that just play their music and don't even. I ask. really hate that too. Ask your permission. So, uh, you know, being a tech director, I, I, I joked with our assistant tech director, that I I'm sort of feeling like I'm, I'm fitting in be, or that I'm really taking on this hat because I mean, a, a week or so ago, I watched sort of for fun, a Cisco, you know, security uh, whole webinar, you know, just like in the evening. And it was like, okay, this is, I'm, I think I'm changing a little bit, but I, I do listen to lots of podcasts, the, the security now podcast, which is a Steve Gibson, Leo Laporte twit network has been one that I've listened to for years. And they were talking about, OAuth, which is a authentication scheme that probably all of us have used where instead of having your own username and password for an account, you can click a button and log in with Google or log in with Facebook. Mm -hmm. And so that particular um, authentication method was studied by some academic researchers. And while they found it's a little convoluted and it can be secure, one of the biggest problems was that it's mis- implemented or poorly implemented by a lot of developers. And so it opens up a lot of security yeah. holes. Um, so that was interesting because we, we are trying to move towards single sign on and not yet other than knowing we don't want to move, you know, use our Google accounts. We haven't, we, we're, we're just at the point at, at school actually of 
getting our Active Directory cleaned up and setting up our Active Directory sync so that so that those are going to be one and, and we're not going to have to have, have people you know keep track of two separate passwords theoretically. Um, right. It's such a hassle. Are you, yeah. And so the other article was uh, that Facebook block ad, blocked Admiral from using profiles to price car insurance and uh, basically caught wind of this, that they were going to, you know, ask you to opt in, but they were going to scan your profile and judge, you know, to what degree are you a, a risk and, and a higher liability in, in terms of charging you insurance. And this is, you know, some of the fears that people have about the surveillance state, you know, on a corporate level, certainly that insurance companies are going to, you know, take a look at, at everything that we share and maybe even things that you don't realize that you're giving away and then make decisions about what you qualify for, maybe for health insurance or things like that. So what right. is your take on surveillance and security? And, and if you were giving a TEDx talk about digital citizenship and surveillance, what, what would you say? I mean, so actually this is a big pet project of mine and, um, as you were talking, I was trying to find a couple of websites that, of course, I blanked on the name of now that we're on the air, but I will add them to the show notes afterwards. Um, I've been working on this um, a little bit with some folks out of Common Sense Media. And um, in fact, Atlas, we did a, a webinar on on it with the Berkman Klein people out of Harvard um, because privacy is actually a bigger deal than I think any of us realize, especially with kids. Um and not a lot of people do a very good job of protecting privacy. And there are some federal laws that are um, in place about what you have to do to be compliant. You probably heard of them, COPA, FERPA, those things. Um, and there's some debate in the independent school world how much those relate to us and probably more than we realize. Um, and then I, I also think there's, my perspective is there's a social justice element to it as well. Um, because we are, without their consent or understanding, giving out student data um, or with their parents. So I think number one is educating kids and educating their parents. Some things are obvious, right? Like Facebook, like you put it on there, or at least most of it, you're aware that it's sharing. But other things are a little more nefarious, like all of your Google searches are cataloged. So at Christmas time, when you're trying to find presents, you notice you start getting really relevant ads showing up and that's because Google like people don't think like I do a Google search and that data is being collected or I send email like my brother my sister and I will soon start emailing about what we're going to get our parents and then we'll get ads related to that as well so you know all of this stuff is actually out there and I think number one is tech directors we have to focus on educating ourselves and number two we have to focus on educating students what of their information is being taken and why it's important, because when I talk to my students about it, sometimes, and I teach teenagers, so they're kind of like, eh, I don't really care. I don't have anything that I care if anybody sees. And then you kind of pry a little deeper, like, okay, can I have your phone and scroll through all your photos? And they're like, well, no. Um, or can I read all of your emails going through this? And they go like, no, that's private. What do you think? What do you think I'm doing? And I go, I don't think you're doing anything, but, but this is what can happen. And I also don't like the idea of normalizing, monetizing data, um, especially of young children. So if you have a small child right now, let's say you had a child in the last five years, like most soon to be moms or current moms, you probably are Googling information about pregnancy, about gender, about education, whatever, about being a child. That means Google could actually have information on your child before it's born. 
from the time you're taking photos and posting it online to when a school starts incorporating all this data. Um, and so that's why I think it's important to educate parents about what they're doing as well. So, I, I mean, I could go down the rabbit hole on this for a really long time. Well, yeah, and I'm not averse to, to diving into it because I'm, um, like I said, it's a little selfish, but I'm, I'm very curious. Uh, I had a chance to do a TEDx about family oral history a few years ago at OU. Right. And it, it's cool, you know, it's really, and, and I don't know, I hadn't really planned for years like, oh, I want to go on the record and do a TEDx, you know, about this. But we've been doing a lot of digital citizenship work at our school. We have a, a team task force. Uh, our headmasters asked us to develop a five-year strategic plan. We just had a, a, a mini conference on Tuesday morning where we brought together about 12 different folks from across our divisions and <clears throat> had a chance to. Uh, have you seen Province Day School in Raleigh, North Carolina? Oh, Their yeah, framework? with Matt Scully. Matt Scully. Oh, yeah. Susan, Susan Bearden actually tweeted that, and I found that. And, and Matt video conferenced in to us um, and talked for an hour and answer questions about what they've done and their whole journey. <clears throat> and so, so I'm really, I'm, I'm, I think that the, the student privacy part that you're talking about is really important and that is an, a, a, something to draw out. How do you respond to the, to the statement or the, or the position of someone who says, I'm not a criminal, I'm not a terrorist, mm -hmm. so I don't care? What, what's your response to that? I think we value privacy more than, than we think of. Um, you know, so you may not like I'm certainly not saying I'm not a big believer. If you have nothing to hide, then it's OK for things to go through. There are still things that I like to be private. We've all have, you know, most of us have personal lives and maybe have gone through tragedies or struggles that we don't want broadcast to the world. And, um, you know, we don't want this information publicly publicly shared. Uh, all the events that are coming to mind right now are a little nefarious with the big data breaches. But what if suddenly all of your emails were leaked and everyone could find out about a fight you were having with your spouse? Or what if you work for the Democratic National Committee, for instance? Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. There's a lot of ways that like people are entitled to privacy. In fact, I believe it's a, a right that we have. And, and that doesn't and children are entitled to privacy. Um, it used to be our parents just embarrassed us when you brought somebody home and showed your naked baby photos to them there. Now think about if somebody can Google West Fryer and find all those photos posted out on the Internet. Maybe you're the principal of a school or, you know, running a company. Um, everybody's entitled to a private life, um, especially I would argue, especially if you're not doing anything wrong. Hmm. Um, and and that's really what I. I think it's very important. Well, as we've looked at curricula uh, from Common Sense and others that are talking about digital citizenship, obviously privacy features high in there, you know, what you're sharing, being aware of that, thinking about your digital footprint, uh, mm -hmm. not only not doing stupid things, but trying to do constructive and positive things publicly to, you know, take charge of that footprint. But I haven't seen a whole lot of of talk about surveillance. And so I, I had a chance to see the Snowden movie with uh, – with I guess both both our girls and my wife. My son is off at college, so he didn't see it. But um, you know, it uh, the whole idea about you know is he you know traitor or or patriot? Uh, I, I've I think I've finally come down to to be able to say for sure that you know it's good that we can have the conversations and the knowledge that that we that we are able to have because of his disclosures, um, and I I think that. 
it's perhaps a little bit more challenging to try to grapple with what do we do about the governmental side of that than right. what we might do think do think about the corporate. It's also really important to know what's going on with with individuals. I had a chance this week to talk to one of our parents who who does a, a big conference for single moms in the Oklahoma City area. And I had presented for them a couple of years ago. I think I did an oral history thing, but I mentioned I said I'm doing some stuff on on uh, surveillance and the and uh, you know there's some real important things that if somebody's in a divorce or has a um, you know antagonistic uh, significant other <laughs> that, yeah. that they can be you know using these these stalker tools that might be marketed as you know track your children or whatever but but basically if if you click a link in an email you know they can be surreptitiously activating your webcam uh, they can be turning on the microphone they can be tracking your location I mean, Comey, the FBI director, definitely made more headlines later in the election with things that he was saying about about uh, the, the Hillary Clinton email server. But, you know, he said about a month or, or a month and a half ago, yes, put a cover over your webcam. This yeah. is something you should do. And, and this is the director of the FBI. So I, I don't know. I've been reading. I'm listening to Spam Nation, uh, which is a which is a really um eye-opening book about pharma and about spam and about, um, you know, why we have so much phishing. It's by Brian Krebs. And mm -hmm. Krebs is the security researcher who was actually one of the big targets of the cyber attack that happened maybe two or three weeks ago. That was mm -hmm. the big Internet of Things attack. Um, I, uh, I listened to... Ooh, lights out by Ted Koppel, which is kind of, it's like Y2K, you know, it, you can get really paranoid with this stuff, uh, right. being concerned about, about cyber attack and, you know, what happens if we lose power for a few months and, and it all, it's like New Orleans and Katrina. So I think there's a, there's a line somewhere between being, you know, overly paranoid, but then also just being naively ignorant. Right. And I think that digital citizenship needs to include discussion about this because I think there is important advocacy to be done, like what EFF is doing in terms of trying to, to advocate, for instance, for tools that are going to allow for, you know, anonymous browsing. And if you look at living in Bahrain or Iran or, you know, countries that are, are very tightly restricting uh, freedom of expression, you know, right. It's good for folks to be able to have non-trackable access to the, to the Internet. Um, but I, I think that I think that the the government side of that is it's just a little bit more slippery because it, it seems like you can. There's things I can concretely do about the corporate stuff. I could get off of Facebook. You know, I've gone, uh, the Note to Self podcast had a good episode about this experiment where there's a Google Chrome extension that'll give you better, more, I guess, quicker visibility into the kinds of things Facebook is, is tracking with you. And I cleaned up my profile, deleted a lot of things that I said I'd liked. And, you know, and Google lets you do the same thing with history, but the government stuff is a little bit more challenging. It's like, besides be scared, you know, what else, what else are you supposed to do? Um, and I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, because I think there's on top of the awareness is I do think it's necessary for people to have a voice with the government about the rights of privacy of its of its citizens, especially children um, who are. I, I mean, I think all of us are not as informed as we think we are about the data that we're giving out, like. I, I'm a little bit more just because I've been working in this arena for a little while. But for example, I, Miami's got a lot of traffic. I use um, um, a very popular mapping app called Waze. Uh, 
I'm also aware that by using Waze, I am allowing this app to track my movement the entire time it's on. So now it knows generally what time I leave because it'll notify me, oh, you're supposed to be at this uh, doctor's appointment and it's over here and you've got traffic, so you should leave at this time. And But I made a conscious decision to sacrifice that element of privacy for these handy features to not be late and to navigate around things. Um, but not a lot of people are aware of that or what, what happens to that data or how protected that data is. Um, one of Atlas's works has actually been on um, having to do with cybersecurity because we, we've learned the number one target now of um, ransomware, which you know where they lock down your systems, you have to pay them money to, um, to lighten up. Number one is hospitals. And we've had a few hospitals in Florida hit. I'm sure there have been more hospitals hit than we realize because I assume they try to keep it quiet. Uh, the number new, the number two target is schools. Yeah. Because think about uh, all the data schools have. Um, they have students' names. They have um, addresses, social security numbers, health information. In some cases, uh, they may have credit card numbers or banking yeah. account information. Um, so there's a lot of data that we have to ask ourselves, do we need to collect this information? And if we collect it, then how do we safeguard it and protect it? So, so I, saw I saw you, you drop a couple links, links yep. into the chat. Uh, FERPA Sherpa. Mm -hmm. What is that? Um, so FERPA, the federal. Um, um, I know yeah. FERPA, but, but the FERPA Sherpa, I'm not familiar it, with. It's just a way to help both um, adults navigate um, FERPA, like what the law is, what does it require, and as parents to help parents to be informed about what their school should be doing, so that they can. And, and I think schools and parents should work together. So in no way am I suggesting an antagonistic relationship. Schools, as we all know, are overwhelmed and understaffed. And um, so you can always, you know, ask questions and um, maybe direct them to these links because the language of these laws is, I mean, it's written by lawyers and it's obviously complicated. And so what I like is it's real, real language. Um, and oh, an easy way for you to understand how your child's information should be protected through a school. And if they use, like we use Google Apps for Education, I think 80% of schools now are Google, I'm sorry, Google Suite, G Suite. G Suite. Right. It's only been a week. I'm still working on it and I have no idea what the new hashtag will be when I post things. Is it GS? I'm still doing Google. I do Google EDU as the hashtag. Uh, I always think Gabe. Yeah, I'm going, I've been going Google EDU, so. That's a good one. Um, but then you, then there are certain things they have to reveal to parents as well about what they're collecting and, and what your legal options are. Okay. Um, and so it's a really good tool if you just want to learn more about the law. Um, I also added the Common Sense Media Graphite Privacy Evaluations. Um, and that is excellent. It's put out by Common Sense Media. They launched it last year at ISTE. And they went through a number of really popular tools at schools, and they've added more since I've been on there, um, and analyze how their effectiveness for safety, privacy, security, and compliance. And uh, when it first came out, there was some, uh, and I'm not going to call out any app on here, uh, but there were a couple apps, apps that shocked me that um, I really was surprised that they weren't as secure um, as I had thought they were. But what was really promising is that a number of these app developers reached out to common sense media 
when it got published and they made some changes, they made some updates, they had conversations. So I don't think most of these companies are being nefarious. I think they just don't know. There's an education. And there was somebody that you were going to connect me with and, and did, I think, but I've just not followed up at Miami device a couple of years ago to, to talk about those issues. So like, I'd still like to make that connection because it was somebody who was with a startup, but has done tons of research about this. Yes. Her name is Anna Albier. Um, there's two people I put you in touch with. She's with Drop for EDU. She's a phenomenal woman. Um, she's a Latina and she lives in Silicon Valley in San Francisco and she runs a startup and just a successful one. Um, it's called Drop for EDU. And she did all of this re since her product is geared to elementary school children in California, which has the most restrictive laws. She hired an attorney. Um, she did all of this stuff. And, and so she and her organization um, have done a lot of work with that. And then the other one is um, Bill Fitzgerald. Um, and he works with Common Sense Media. Um, he does a, almost all of their privacy stuff. And he really? is phenomenal. This is the Bill up in Oregon, up in Portland? Yeah, up in Portland. He's by Portland only. Funny yeah. Monkey. Monkey, that's right. Yeah, he's phenomenal. Awesome. And, um, and yeah, and he knows every time I think like I've got this privacy stuff down, Bill is quick to point out like in a very nice and kind and thoughtful way, like, oh, but did you think about this? And then I'm like, oh, no, I didn't think about that because it, it's an overwhelming topic. It is. It is. Well, hey, I want to give a shout out to our two live viewers. So, yes, Peggy George is there and Jamie Camp is as well. So uh, Hi, they uh, there is a there is a pop out chat from the public YouTube page. It's a little bit tricky. Uh, it'll challenge you to want to have, you know, multiple screens uh, as if we need more encouragement for that, because it in mm -hmm. anyway, you, you can pop it out from the upper right corner of the of the YouTube live. Uh, but yeah, Peggy and Jamie, it's great to have you with us and uh, let us know if you all have any questions and we'll try to give some voice to any input or, or thoughts that you all have. So uh, any more advice that, that you have for me about the just this idea of surveillance and digital citizenship uh, before I, we jump on to another topic? I think the number one thing is just be educated and um, and realize that your data is probably more valuable than you think it is. And and your child's data. I like to think of it. I mean, you are the guardian of your child. You have a, a young daughter. You know, she's her own person. You're responsible for her. Um, but try to think of what she would want as her best interest when she becomes an adult. So while her baby pictures are probably super cute and adorable, it may not be something she wants pulled up on a Google search when she's 20 or, you know, registering her for a contest might start giving out this data fairly early that makes her identifiable and trackable. Let's not even say for nefarious reasons, just for monetizing reasons. And then the government surveillance, I saw the Snowden documentary, not the new film. Um, and you can certainly go, get quite paranoid looking at that. But I mean, this is your data can be weaponized um, in easy ways. And that's and, a powerful statement. That's a powerful statement. Yeah. But it's, it's, can you, can you elaborate on that? What is, what is your data can be weaponized mean to you? If you want to attain a position of power or authority, run for office, um, have a state appointed position, um, you know, become an ambassador, become a, a high ranking um, position at a, at a company that makes a lot of money. Um, information about you can be taken and turned against you. So think about 
the errant tweet that we've all heard of that goes viral and somebody loses their job, think, think of that times a million. Somebody could lift a sentence or two out of context. Like I can be very sarcastic. And if I'm texting my boyfriend, he knows when I'm being sarcastic. However, if you read that out of context, you might think Jennifer is a terrible human being. Certainly not somebody who should be a judge in this county. Yeah. And, and so you, that's what I mean by your data can be weaponized. And, yeah. and so I think that's an important thing to keep in mind um, as, you know, we value our, our freedoms and our, um, and our, and, and that's again, why I think that privacy is important. Well, I may, I may quote you on that and, and give a, give shout out attribution to you for that statement. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll give a, a shout out. And I've said this in, in the show before, there's a really, really good article called if you're not paranoid you're crazy yeah and, um i'm trying to find the source of that it's it's in our show notes as you as you scroll back i'm not finding it right now but yeah it's it's i don't know anybody who's, who can claim to have the absolute you know here's the perspective everybody needs and here's what everybody needs to do um there's a lot of things that are hidden and cloaked in all of this but mm-hmm we are rapidly moving, you know, into, into a society and a future where uh, the cyber elements are going to be larger, you know, in our lives. And so I think we're well advised to pay attention to this and Mm -hmm. to wrestle with the questions. And like you said, to seek to be, to be better educated. So do you want to take us to another article, anything else that you put into the show notes or not that you'd like Uh to talk about tonight? Well, I mean, the big thing that's been on the news, I, and so much so, I, I wrote an article about it. Um, apparently, we had a presidential election, if you if you were living in a cave for the last three years. I heard a rumor about that, yeah. Um, it's been especially, um, you know, I've, I'm not going to totally reveal my age, but it's not my first presidential election by any means. Um, but it's been exceptionally volatile. And if you've been on social media... Um, you're fully aware of how ugly it has been. Um, and one of the things I noticed during the election cycle was the amount of fake news that got posted. And it was like shocking. And, it, and I was kind of being a snarky about it with some people. Like I would just fact check it. I would just post a link that showed it was wrong. Uh, but then I realized it was a lot. And then I noticed after the election, people like the New York Times published an article on it that there actually is and a large amount of fake news going out. Some of it's really obvious, or I think obviously fake when they post something like, um, well, I can't really actually repeat some of the titles because they're so horrific. But one of the recent examples was that Denzel Washington endorsed um, Donald Trump. Um, and he did not endorse Donald Trump, but um, it was shared around. It went viral and, and people picked that up. There were um, several other stories. I think there was um, another false story that, um, Vice President-elect Pence um, made a really vulgar statement about First Lady Michelle Obama that was also completely untrue. Um, and so I, I wrote an article to to help people decipher fake news. And I happened to schedule it when everyone else wrote articles about deciphering fake news. Um, and I think it's just a really good time. I, I've always been pushing digital literacy and I think some teachers get around it by saying, like, well, we just don't let kids use the Internet for research. And as we all know, everyone, including teachers, uses the Internet for research. And so it's more important than ever that people know how to decipher fake news. Um, and so just kind of common sense stuff about, you know, validating your sources. 
if it sounds outrageous, it probably is outrageous. Do they link to um, supporting data? Um, Google and Facebook have since, and I think I posted the article. If I haven't, I'll do it soon. Um, Google and Facebook have since vowed to combat it. Like they're not going to allow these companies to buy ad space anymore, which they were allowing them to do. Um, they were giving them the valuable blue check mark um, that I've been trying to get unsuccessfully on Twitter. Um, that gives them an air of, oh no, I just got cut off. Let me see. Oh, did I get cut off? Or did Wes get cut off? Let me, I'm going to send Wes a Twitter message because I don't know if I am going live. It looks like I am going live. Um, perhaps it was our discussion on surveillance. Um, looks like you got knocked off. I'm just going to keep talking a little bit about the Google and Facebook story. Um, so Google and Facebook both allowed companies to monetize these stories. Um, Google with AdSense um, and Facebook was used to feed that back to it. Um, and debate about whether it swayed the election is a whole other discussion, but the need for people to become educated about online news, I think is really important, especially as more and more people, according to Pew, are using the internet, using tools like Facebook and um, Twitter and Reddit to access content. Let's see. Wonder if Wes just knocked out his internet access. Hmm. Oh, he's on here. Oh, there you are. Oh my God. I just kept going and then, oh no, you got knocked off again. I can't carry the show on my own. It's the first time I've been on here. Maybe this is my moment. <laughs> um, hmm. Fake news. Privacy, how to be digital literate. Wes wrote an article about that. We both posted our articles. His was his beat me. Strategies for fact checking online, which is, by the way, an excellent article. It's much more. There you are. I was talking about your article. You keep going out. <laughs> you for continuing the show well so when i when hopefully his he'll be back um no. i was literally yelling up stop streaming because i had neglected to ask my daughter to not stream and we don't have a good the new the new um google router is supposed to let you do some quality of service and restrict uh, who's doing what i was nervous it Sorry. was a discussion on surveillance so Right, I know. We can be paranoid. Sure. I don't think so. I don't think that many people are listening yet. But honestly, it is a little concerning that if you're going to well, look at the alt-right, you know, what's right. just happened with Twitter as far as cutting out some accounts. Very noted journalists that had just horrifically ugly things, you know, posted instead. Like you like you, like you phrased it, their, their information was weaponized. 
terrible things, you know, pictures of spouses and children, right. uh, just photoshopped in terrible ways. Things that you don't even want to think about right. is that you probably can't unsee. Um, terrible, terrible things. So, right. um, I'm getting more and more concerned about the surveillance discussion. Um, but I do know that he's talking about the fact that Twitter and other social media accounts are banned in China or in um, Saudi Arabia or Syria or other regions, um, especially regions that are more of a police state or that have, you know, it's no coincidence that social media was involved in the. All right. So anyway, we'll uh, try to try to reinsert that. So ugly, ugly politics, lots of, of fake news being shared. Yeah. Uh, you inserted yourself in trying to kind of correct people. And I sometimes do that too, just Snopes. In fact, I put an article in the show notes, um, that was, I, I shared it on September 28th on, yeah. on t- strategies for online fact checking. And is- it was, was, it was one of my favorite teachers in high school. And, and she'd shared on Facebook this article about a pumpkin or a gourd or pumpkin, you know, thousands of years old and Native Americans. But a very quick Google search, you know, brought up, uh, articles that pointed out what was not true about it. The unique thing there was Facebook played a role because below that article, it actually showed some fact checking, you know, yeah. articles related to it. And that's, that was one of the things that, that caught my attention. Um, I don't know. Sometimes it can feel like you're, you know, uh, you know, definitely swimming against the current when, when you try to point out Snopes and these other fact checking things, but it's, Everybody's a publisher now, right? But people don't necessarily think about, wait a minute, before I like this, share this, that I have a responsibility to see if it's actually true. And one of my big critiques and one of my concerns with Twitter is I think people share headlines instead of articles. Yes. Yes. There was a really good article about that I read today that said that we're just, we're skimming the news and we're, we're less informed now because we're skimming the news and we're not actually reading. So their solution, or at least a way to address it was, please read the article first before you share it. Well, one of my big suggestions was use readily access on a regular basis, a lot of different types of news sources. So you could read NPR, the Washington Post, the New York Times, you know, you can get it from left and right. You can do it you know, Fox News and MSNBC, but the more generally informed you are, the less likely you are to to read something and think it's legitimate, especially if it, most, there are so many that I think are just so outrageous, I'm shocked that people share them, but then there are some that are a little nefarious and not like, and if you're, you have your own intrinsic biases that you think, oh yeah, that sounds, that sounds like it could be legit. Um, like I read that dark chocolate was just as effective as an hour of exercise. And I was like, that seems legitimate. I'm just going to go with that. And <laughs> just going to assume it's true. And don't, please don't post a Snopes article contradicting right. that belief. That's right. That's right. So. Well, yeah. And that's certainly, that's certainly got to play into to digital citizenship big time and the whole question of authority and, and who do we believe? Um, what, what are you all doing at your school with digital citizenship? Do you all have a, I would guess, I mean, do some common sense media stuff, but what, what does it look like at your school for digital citizenship? So a lot of it is integrated into um, the curriculum itself in terms of anytime there's something that requires research, we, um, we try to educate them on using online content effectively. And I've, could, I've been able to convince people that social media itself is not actually bad for research. So I talk about crowdsourcing on Twitter or 
you know, the Arab Spring, you didn't know what was happening if you weren't reading Twitter or other sources like that. Um, we do have a, a small officially just labeled digital citizenship curriculum and we talk about it in our, uh, in the sixth grade. We have a rotation there because we're a six to 12 school. Um, and then we do, um, some discussions in our, we meet in our advisories every day. So sometimes we'll have a topic and, um, and then I try to actively, like I have my kids make a lot in class. We do a lot of digital artifact creation. And they'll make something like a video for me. And I'm like, oh, that was an amazing video. Did you put that on YouTube? And they were like, well, I don't know. I don't know if I should put it on there. And I said, well, if a college Googles you in four years, would you want them to find that? And they're like, yeah, I guess I would. I'm like, then why don't you put it out there? And just because I think kids get some conflicting message. They shouldn't put anything online, but they should. And they should, you know, especially things that they're proud of or they did well on. And that's something my wife and I have been talking a lot about and want to write a book about is inside and outside sharing. We have yeah. so much fear in the school about outside sharing, and we tend to default to inside in the walled garden and almost robbing the, the, the interactive web of so much of its power for an audience that's, that's beyond your walls and feedback and, and a lot of different things. And so I think that in the context of digital citizenship, we, we've done some surveys and, and in addition to what we found with Matt's school, you know, some schools situate this underneath global citizenship and preparing students to be, you know, globally um, uh, capable, globally aware, globally sensitive, uh, to be global collaborators. And so yeah. I'm excited about how, how it might go in that direction because I really think the best teachable moments for digital citizenship happen when we are acting as digital citizens, when we're sharing, when we're commenting, when we're, you know, in a space, whether it's a sandbox behind a, a password inside the school or whether it's something outside, those right. are, are usually the times when we get to really talk about this stuff. And it's meaningful because it's not the just in case, it's the just in time or it's the situated conversation that has a meaningful context. Mm -hmm. No, I 100% agree. And, and it also should be age appropriate, right? So maybe kindergartners shouldn't be sharing things with their name on it. But as you get a little older, middle school or above is when you start thinking about what's appropriate to share out. And so, you know, just like, you know, allowing your child autonomy for what they watch on the television or can they walk down the street by themselves? You know, it all becomes it's a decision that's age appropriate and developmentally appropriate. So you have two children. I'm one of three. OK, so some things were appropriate for me at 12 that weren't appropriate for my brother till he was like 27. Right, right. Yeah, yeah um, we've actually got three. We have our, our oldest is in college. Uh, we got, got to see him two weekends ago and then we've got got a junior and a seventh grader. Oh yeah. Then, you know, exactly like what was ready, what was right for one of them at one age was not necessarily right for another at the same. But it's also so interesting to see their different views on social media. I mean, before our son went to, went to Berlin on a summer exchange yeah. where they were organizing with a Facebook group and he basically had to join. He didn't want to join, you know, he's, he's, he's on Twitter to read, stuff, but you know, he's still an egg and we're just, um, I mean, I would really like to help him craft a, a good digital footprint. Uh, when, when we went, he's at the Carter school of mines in golden and, and they had a really good handout at orientation about digital footprint and the way that internships and employers, you know, are going to look at that kind of stuff. But, uh, and am I breaking up or are we okay? No, you're good. Okay. So, 
anyway, we were, I'm, I'm helping him apply right now for a, a, a Department of Defense smart scholarship, which would be phenomenal if, if he would want it and, and get it. <clears throat> and he did his, uh, IB research, his, his, his extended essay in chemistry, basically on the chemical processes of hydraulic fracturing. And it's like pretty technical and awesome. And so I've wow. encouraged him since he got it back, like publish that on your site. I mean, I know it was high school, but that's still really cool. And that really shows, you know, the level of stuff that you were interested yeah. in and that you worked on. And, and so we'll see, I think, I think he's going to go in that direction, but where he's been extremely reticent to move into the digital space, which is his choice, right? I mean, he is 18 and, and Far be it from me as his parent to sort of like pushing him off the high dive, you know, to say, yeah. you must, you know, publish on Twitter. Our youngest, especially, you know, it has over 550 subscribers on our YouTube channel, you know, is on Instagram That's and awesome. Twitter, has friends, you know, around the world, did a giveaway for her 400 subscriber special where she she did a drawing and doggone it, if it didn't cost $90 to send the package to Ireland, you know, where this person was. <laughs> um Anyway, there's a whole lot of good stories and things that have happened, but you know, it's um, the digital. It's not just a digital native myth. There's so much more complexity and, and variance yeah. to all of this, and uh, our role as parents. I mean, it's it, it, it speaks to the importance of being connected and hearing what other people are doing and and how are they handling things and you know and and what do we need to what do we need to be aware of and and be talking about right um, and and I honestly I do with her doing this TEDx I the number one thing I guess that I would fear is that you know she could be targeted by by malicious people you know who would who would want to be very cruel um there's actually some it, it's really nice for her to kind of fly under the horizon and not <clears throat> have mainstream media attention. And so yeah. I, by her sharing this, it's not going to, to be a negative. I hope it's going to be a positive. Um, and I do have a lot of faith in the, in the positive power of sharing, but that's also why this whole surveillance, you know, conversation is challenging because, you know, it, it makes me question Peggy asked in the chat, what, so if you're aware of this government surveillance and this stuff, what does it, what does it mean? You know, what do you do right. besides be scared? And I think that, that it can, can mean curtailing what we share. Uh, just like Jason and I, I think talked last week about when I quit Foursquare and that was a, that was a big deal thinking about, okay, I'm not going to, you know, be broadcasting to the world, my location, whenever I'm away from my house. Um, that's probably not a safe thing, especially if, if criminals as they are getting smarter. So, yeah. Well, we uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about Google extensions uh, because I went to a wonderful Google summit last weekend in Mays, Kansas, which is a suburb of Wichita. But I noticed that, Jen, on your website, you are a level two certified educator. Uh, do you want to speak a little bit to as a tech director? I've wondered, you know, should I go for innovative? I, I know I need to do Google certified admin, you know, certified educator. What? What have, what have you done and how have you navigated how you wanted to spend some of your time with some of these new Google certification programs? Yeah, so I, I had gone through the first iteration of Google Certified Educator back when I was a teacher, and I was not particularly impressed with it because for everything that we teach about what education should be, that that program actually wasn't it. It was all like rote memorization and looking things up and time testing, and it was silly. Um, I went through the the second round. Um, one is my other certification; it expired. I think they're good for two years. 
And so I was like, okay, I need to get Google certified educator again, just, but I also, um, when I was at ISTE, had spoken to Google and they said, we redid the entire process. It's much more demonstrate your knowledge and your understanding. Try like, you're going to love it. Try it again. So I did it for two reasons. One is be, just so that I can go through it and, and test my knowledge and kind of get that. But two is, is it something I want to press upon my teachers? to use because we're a Google, a G suite school. There you go. Um, Good job. You get a star for getting that right. But we still use exchange. And so next year that's changing. Yes. And understandably, there's a lot of anxiety about what that means. And so one of my goals is to get a few teachers, Google certified so that one, um, one, it, I think it can help them just as educators and as, you know, in their classroom, we feel more comfortable with their tools and maybe feel a little good about themselves, but also kind of selfishly so that I can kind of push them out and hold them up as like, oh, you can go talk to Kate if you're confused about Gmail or go talk to Gus if you, if you don't understand how to use calendar in this way. Um, and I was really impressed because they were right. It actually is involving like go into your Google drive. It's a fake Google drive, you know, share this with these two people, give this person these rights. Oh, if you want your students to do this type of activity, what's the best tool to use? Um, so I was actually pretty impressed with it um, this time around. So, and for you, like for me, I think I did it. it they weren't particularly long. I didn't study for them. Um, you can US can get through it, I'm sure, in a couple hours for both of them. Um, the Google Certified Innovator, I just haven't found the time to apply for it because that is a much more involved process. I know a couple of people who are, um, but it does require a lot more research. And um, I think you even have to um, submit a deadline by a particular time and attend their academy and all of that. So it's when you're going to have the support from your, um, and you'll, means you also have to have some financial support from your school, um, unless you happen to live where they are offering it. But I will say that the Google extensions that he has curated are freaking awesome. I had not heard of a few of them and I looked at them and they were amazing. Like G Suite training, if you've ever heard of Synergize, it used to cost money. They were purchased by Google and now Google has rolled them out as free. Um, it's great live, constantly updated training for your organization. Every time there's an update to Google Drive, you don't have to learn how to do it. It'll do it for you. Save to Pocket if you use Pocket to store any of your reading articles. This is a great way to like get that New York Times or that Washington Post article um, and read it on the go or a blog post. Share to Classroom. Classroom now integrates with so much. If you have an assignment or reading assignment, you want to have it go back um, and and put it in your classroom as an announcement or part of a um, part of an assignment. It's really cool. I have to recommend it. Um, oh, Screencastify! If it's, this is awesome, especially if you have a Chromebook school. It's just an in Chrome browser um, screencaster, so you can do screen recordings whether you're on a Chromebook or you know it's entirely free. Um, so you can have your students just screencast from their browser window. So you can have them explain their thinking or talk about um, something that they were writing in class. It's a really, really cool tool. Something I'm asked a lot by people who are in Chromebook schools is how can I do screencasting or videos 
with my kids when we're on Chromebooks and Screencastify is your answer. Um, I think Honey is a shopping app, I want to say. Yep, automatically finds and applies various coupons. This is awesome. Anytime you go to a website, especially now that it's holiday season, it's a great way to save a few bucks. Um, I know quite a few people use Honey, and it's I know it's one of the more reliable ones because I use some other tools. Sometimes they're effective, sometimes less so. Oh, yeah, and turn off the lights allows you to fade your screen to dark so that if you're watching videos, it's kind of like watching it in a dark room. You don't have the distraction of the of the screen behind you. It's pretty, pretty cool. There you are. You you are absolutely the best. I mean, I, uh, you, you would think I have never done one of these before. Wow, I am like looking like I, I don't know if my bandwidth is just at the absolute lowest. Uh, don't worry. In Miami, where it rains every day, when it rains, I lose my internet connection. Well, you know, I've I've honestly done tons of video conferencing, uh, and I have a I have a like what was a what fifteen thousand dollar Tamburg sitting over here. I used to restart my router, you know, before every call, and then just be religious about forcing everyone else to not touch the network. And anyway, I don't know what's up, but you are wonderful. So you talked about some extensions. Which ones? Yeah, I talked about all the ones that I knew. All um, right, which ones did you not? Is awesome. Um, I haven't talked about you. I kind of touched on uBlock Origin. Okay. In a way that made it seem like very apparent. I wasn't familiar with uBlock Origin. <laughs> well, I'll say this about Share to Classroom. So I guess it was announced at ISTE. I um, missed it and didn't know that, you know, you can push that link to everybody in the room who has a Chromebook. So at our, at our mini retreat with uh, digital citizenship, we, we got the Chromebook card out, one of our six at the middle division and did that. And, and I don't think people there were as impressed as they should have been, but I've told a few of our faculty and they're like, no way. Because, yeah, you know, every cool. day they're, they're putting a link into their Google classroom. They're asking their kids to log in and they go to it and click and, you know, take four steps, which can now happen immediately. Yeah. Um, so the two that are the, my number ones there, uBlock Origin is the lightest weight memory wise ad blocker that blocks ads on on YouTube and, you know, just the regular web. And some of the ad blockers out there actually take quite a bit of memory. And so in that same spirit, the other one that I would say is put at the top of your list is tab suspender. Ben Wilkoff, who's out in Denver, Colorado, gave a great session at the uh, InnoTech, the Colorado State Tech uh, Google Summit. He gave a session summer before last and mentioned that. And oh my gosh, that saves me huge. It, it makes my machine so fast because I yeah. open up a lot of tabs. And if it's not active, you know, it's going to be consuming system memory. So tab suspender. One thing to watch with it <clears throat> is that if you're, you know, typing something in a form or whatever, you might lose it if you're, if you, you know, don't go back to it or something like that. So be aware of that if you're typing, typing in a form. Okay. Other? I usually have like 18 tabs open, so I'm going to... Oh, it will change your life. I mean, those two, seriously, those, those are, are my top ones. I use Extensify. Did I put that one on there? That, that one to turn, you know, turn them on and off. But uh, any other ones you didn't, you didn't touch on? Um, we did not touch on Crafty Cursor okay. or Chrome Sign Builder or Crafty Text. So crafty, I, the, those, these are all ones I learned about at the Google summit, uh, crafty cursor, 
allows you to highlight your cursor when you're doing a screencast. So if you're doing like a screencastify, then it'll it'll give a big highlight so you'll be able to draw attention to what what you're doing. So that little black That is sweet because yes. I've been doing that, but I've had to use it with Camtasia and add it in after the fact. Yep. And now you can do that on a Chromebook or whatever, just inside the Chrome browser. Then crafty text is a is a pretty simple one. But it just, if I'm thinking right, it's the one that makes the text really large. So when you want to share a link with people and say, here's the, you know, the, the shortened link to my resources or whatever. I think that's what that one is. I, I guess I'll need to open yeah, it and see. Yeah, so you can you can just have it, you know, it'll it'll be um, light text on a dark background that'll show up real well, just blast a, a link, uh, which is which is kind of cool. And then Chrome right. Sign. Chrome Sign Builder, uh, we've just in the last year been rolling out digital signage. We got, uh, our campus, we have about 920 students. Um, we've got about 20 something odd buildings and 80 acres. Um, we have our, our upper division is really like a college. And so lots of different buildings where the students go back and forth. And so we've just this year for the first time have four, uh, four digital, digital signs out there. Um, I've been amazed. Best Buy, 55-inch TVs, $380. Uh, Amazon, $15 uh, mount, unless you need it to articulate, and then it adds about another $20. Our church has used a system called digitalsignage.com, which, mm-hmm. which so it, it was marketed as free digital signage. Of course, you have to have a player, and so the players run about $165, but they're just an Android, um, HDMI, yeah. um, Android device you know, player. And so it's very cool because you can manage it all on the web and it doesn't cost us anything as far as hosting. We're not paying for any pro accounts. I think that's like a hundred a month. But anyway, I'm, I'm interested, of course, in, in being physically responsible. And, and also we want this to look cool, right? And right. so, um, Google has moved into this space and this Chrome sign builder looks like a way to get your, I think you'd, you'd use a, a Chromecast and then you'd be using that yeah. as digital signage. Um, that would be a lot more affordable, you know, at what, 30 bucks a pop. But I haven't played with that one yet, but um, probably need to. That is awesome. Yeah, we, um, the big snag we have with digital signage is we want to have it outside because we live in South Florida. We want everything outside. But um, due to our penchant for hurricanes, we it's kind of difficult to be able to mount something outside and have it com- uh, be compliant with code. Um like we've got very, very lucky this year with Matthew. Very lucky. Had it been forty miles west, it would have been I would have been a disaster. Um so, you know, it's just whether uh, you guys get the same thing where you guys are with um you guys are in Tornado Alley, aren't you? Oh gosh, and we have earthquakes too. We had our we're driving back from Colorado and we were literally a few miles from the epicenter where Cushing, Oklahoma is where almost all the oil pipelines of the country come together. And we just had a, it was supposed, it was initially a five point, they said 5.3, they downgraded it to 5.0, but we're we're talking serious, serious earthquakes. And in fact, somebody was talking at lunch uh, today, our meteorology uh, uh, faculty member was, was saying, you know, even these 2.0 ones, these tremblers that keep on coming, we're, we're, we're looking at damage. So we, we have earthquakes, we have tornadoes, um, we're hosting an arts festival in April, the first week, and we have 3,000 students from around the Southwest coming. Oh, wow. Not, not a good week for a tornado. So we're, we're uh, calling on all our meteorology friends and those that are able to control the weather from afar. Of course, there's. Yeah, no I think that's that. still beyond our abilities. Maybe, maybe so. the next 20. I'll talk to my meteorologist friends down here. 
the United Nations currently crediting for keeping Matthew away. That's right. The United Nations has passed um, resolutions prohibiting nations from using weather as a weapon of war. I don't know that that means we have the capability to, you know, electromagnetically divert hurricanes and and F5 tornadoes. I don't, I don't like think to, we do. I'd like to think we do. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, we're at the top of the hour. Jen, thank you so much. We're going to do some Geeks of the Week and then kind of tell people where they can find us. But seriously, like, I feel so bad. I'm like the guest who who invites you and then, you know, makes you clean the dishes and, you know, (laughs) mop the floor. So thank you. No, not at all. This has been so much fun. I love geeking out with people. Well, and I'm glad to make the connection because I knew, I mean, I got to see your session. I think that was at the first Miami device. Uh, and then, like I said, I've been looking at Atlas and I'm uh, very, very interested in coming, particularly since I won't be able to, well, I may, I may opt for Jackson Hole in an iPad media camp instead of ISTE this year. So. Yeah, ISTE, I mean, I, I'm, I'm definitely going to be back at ISTE this year, but yeah, you should definitely consider coming to Atlas. It's um, in April in Los Angeles, right? It is this year. And then um, next year it's going to be in. Um, back on the East Coast, we're still we're finalizing a site. I'm like 99% sure we finalized it, but I don't want to say we're. Yeah, we're can you if you can ever bring it to Portland or Seattle? Those are my favorite places to go, and I don't think ISTE's ever going back there. Apparently, so. Yeah, I think I don't think they can handle the size of ISTE. Um, yeah, those are those are some good ideas. Um, I'll bring them up at our next board meeting. Um, but no, we're, we're doing some really great things and growing. Um, we just did our big cybersecurity workshop that I, you know, I chatted about briefly. Um, and really the great thing about Atlas and how it nicely complements ISTE is ISTE is about teachers and Atlas is about tech leaders. And so anything from your ed tech directors to your webmasters and your, um, um, the people who manage your databases to, uh, people who run the entire office and, we're offering some PD for anybody who's, you know, running an office of 10 to people who are an office of one. And there's a lot of people who are an office of one. Um, so, yeah, our conference is going to be in April. But even if you can't come to the conference, we have tons of other other things. And I'll, I'll put that note in there. Yeah, please put it. Put some links in, in the show notes. That would be great. And uh, yeah. we'll do um, I do want to say that Atlas is um, geared towards independent schools. Um, and... So if you're in a public school, we may not be something that fits your needs, but I love talking to educators from everywhere. So I will talk to you about anything cool going on. I have lots of friends in the public school arena um, and I went to public schools my whole life. So I have a great love for them. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's 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 take things out with our geeks of the week and then we'll tell people where they can find us online. Uh, What do you have for us this week as your geek of the week? I just have one item and it's really cool. It's called, it's Google's photo scan app and it works on Android and iOS. And some of us still have a lot of print photos laying around and maybe you want to send a good copy to somebody else, or you want to make sure they're, they're safe in case you get hit by a hurricane or a tornado. And you can do high resolution scans of your print photos. And so this is a really great tool. Um, on top of scanning them just to preserve them, you can also edit them. So I have a couple of old photos that I inherited um, when my grandmother passed away about 10 years ago. And I've been scanning them and some of them have crinkles or tears and I've been able to do some repairs and 
this way I've been able to share them out with other family members because we only have one copy of this photo. Um, so it's entirely free. And if you've got a bunch of great photos that you want to embarrass your children with, but you took them 20 years ago, um, I recommend it. It's really cool. Awesome. That is great. And normally I, I think we're supposed to do one geek of the week, but you know, whatever, it's a podcast. We can break the rules. Um, I went ahead and put a link into a really, Oh, isn't this nice? Boy, my, my iPad just died. Um, <laughs> was, it was your did... second show on surveillance, Wes. Oh, uh, I'm not going to go there. So no thank more. goodness we've got multiple screens. See, you don't come to the ed, you know, you don't come to a gunfight with only one gun. You don't come That's to, true. you don't come to the EdTech situation room with just one screen, baby. Okay. So while I try to pull this other one up, um, the first one is a, in Mays, Kansas is, is like kind of a bedroom community for Wichita, Kansas. And it is, um, a district that's really embraced Chromebooks and Google apps. And so they have uh, some really nice links to apps and websites that are usable on Chromebooks. So I dropped that link in. Um, they have a little, I don't know if it's fancy HTML5 or what, but it's it's fancier than your typical thumbnail. So you can uh, go ahead and check that out. Additionally, uh, I put a, a link in there to uh, recommended settings for Wi-Fi routers and access. See, I was being... Oh. Russian, saying, yeah. Wes, you just don't know how to run a home network, do you? What are you thinking about being a tech director? Um, but this is an Apple site. The th one thing I thought was interesting is they 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 discouraged the, the hidden SSID on that. And I haven't thoroughly dug into it, but I am seriously considering um, we've we've got the uh, oh the Apple um, what is it called where it's got the, the built time capsule, you know, and, and yeah. trying to extend stuff. But Google, J Jason is really even more of a Google, a Google fanboy than, than, than I am. Although I love both, you know, Google and Apple, but they've come out with their new home router and the technologies. Some, sometimes people think, Hey, routers, a routers, a router, N not only can firmware go out of date and it could be hacked and become part of these internet of things, <laughs> you know, cyber attacks, um, it also just, you know, can be using the older technologies and not be as flexible. Yeah. So Google, Google's router we had as the geek of the week a while back. And I'm really thinking about that. So anyway, there's some information from Apple. And the last thing is this Google street view animator and Scott McLeod had tweeted this a week or so oh, ago. And I shared this at the Google goodness. summit. Pretty cool. You just put in two locations and it's a, a web page as well as an app, but it will basically create a driving tour of, of Google street view images between those two spots. So when I was in Wichita, I put in like the zoo and then the high school, you know, showed you where the group and taking their street view pictures in between. Um, so it's so amazing. And, and I guess that could, that can tie to surveillance state because there's the Google car taking pictures. Well, absolutely. And um, uh, I just typed in both home and work addresses to animate my drive. So um, dang, that is super cool. Oh, you're back. Oh, come on. Let us close the show. All right. So we wow. tell people where they can find us. If people want to find me, I'm on Twitter, at Teacher Jen Carey. And I have a blog, um, IndianaJen.com. Like Indiana Jones, but I'm Jen. So IndianaJen.com or at Teacher Jen Carey. I am I my sign off. So why don't um, I will hand it over to you to finish. There you go. Okay. Well, uh, this is Wes Fryer and I have been so thankful to be joined by Jen Carey tonight. You can find me on Twitter at W Fryer. My blog is speedofcreativity.org. 
Usually we are here at the Atex Situation Room on Wednesday nights and uh, appreciate any feedback that you all have. You can find the show notes at edtechsr.com slash links. And you can always follow us on Twitter at EdTechSR. So please uh, check out the podcast and share it. And definitely check out Atlas. And, okay, it must be time to end. Good night. Have a All good night. All right. Good night, everybody. Bye.